So um, we did a great episode yesterday. Are you ready to just like recreate it? I think I could do a better job today. Really? Oh, okay. So it's gonna be better. All right, perfect. Let's do it. Hello, and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I am your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austin. Today, we are going to talk about the Brontes. It's a Bronte episode, guys. Yes. I'm uh, I'm um, feeling a bit sensitive about the Brontes at the moment, Lauren. Because of Valette. Because of Valette. And by sensitive, I mean rage. Hold Anger. it in. Hold it in. Just just carry it around with you. All that For rage. Weeks. For weeks. <laughs> For weeks. Carry it around with you until like the first week of December. And then we can talk <sighs> about it in person. It feels like a heavy burden. It is. I know. <laughs> A few episodes ago, I said that I might be team Charlotte Bronte, but I think I'm team anything but Charlotte Bronte wow. this week. You're rude. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm sorry. We'll win you back. Don't worry. Well, it's going to happen. We'll see. <laughs> so um, this is kind of our last Austin Bronte episode for a while, because um, next week we'll air our Halloween episode and we will get started on North and South. So it's a double episode week next week. That's big. It's That's big. big for us. Yeah. Two episodes in one week. I know. Can Look I stomach us. talking to you that many times in a week? Absolutely. It's your favorite thing. Ugh, I'm going to have an ulcer. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So even though it's a Bronte episode, I want to interject one thing about Jane Austen. Yes. Because... It's something it that me. I've kind of wanted to talk to you about for a while, and I meant to bring this up ages ago in our bath episode, but then it got cut out. So here we go. So back when I was in England, I went to Oxford because I wanted to do a Morse pub tour. Morse. Which sounds in- insane. It was like, <laughs> it made me so happy. I cried. Like I cried at the top. I know. I like. I can hear it, and you're still so happy about. Like you like the weirdest amalgamation of British things. (laughs) I think Inspector Morris is the greatest show. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I just I was just like just so happy in Oxford, and I can't wait to go back. And um, the timing was great because there was a Jane Austen um, exhibition at the Bodleian Libraries, which was free. I mean, I always, of course, it's free. Like over there, you guys have so many great free things museums and whatnot money (laughs) yeah (laughs) so um yeah i went to this exhibition it was great it was um sort of in conjunction with chotten house library so there were a lot of things like her personal things that were actually there and available on display uh one being like her writing desk that i think henry carved for her um yeah there was a bunch of letters and like manuscripts and books and um, like replicas of like clothes. So um, it was a great exhibit. Two things. um, How Hmm. big was she in comparison to Charlotte Bronte? Oh, I think she, 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 well, she's taller. 
About five apples. <laughs> About five or maybe five and a half apples. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, quite thin. You know, I can't okay. fit in any of those clothes. <laughs> <laughs> no, me either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh dear. But um, I wish I could have taken pictures. I mean, it was forbidden. But I did think about it. I was like, maybe I should just take a take a quick snap and then, you know, get kicked out. What All was the, the weirdest glory. thing you saw? Um, there was an exhibit, and I'm going to, like, I totally can't remember names off the top of my head. But there was a really nice, like, mini exhibit within the exhibit about her cousin that went on trial for, I think, was it stealing lace in Bath? Eliza. It might not have been her cousin. It might have been an aunt. So wasn't, it was, it, wasn't it? Was it her um, uncle Lee Parrot's wife? I think so. I had that because yeah, I, that rings a bell, but I can't remember. I'm I'm sure it was. Well, it's the Lee Parrots that lived in that lived in Bath. I'm yeah. Sure. So it had all gone down in Bath, and um, what I thought was interesting was that they said in the exhibit like that was one of the like one of the like things that gave her pause about moving to Bath too was that they already had this reputation, that family. Yeah. So Lace it was another leaves. reason why I was like, oh, I don't want to go to Bath. Bath sucks. That's really interesting. <laughs> I didn't so, know that. I thought that was really cool. And that's something I, I kind of made note that we will revisit later on. Um, but yeah, it was a nice exhibit. There was also at the end, um, they had cut together video of just like, scenes from every single Jane Austen BBC adaptation. That, so I mean that sounds magical. I mean so many of the them. BBC ones though. Only the BBC ones. Like so they left out like ITV. So I'm guessing they just like worked out the licensing with BBC and That's a big know, chunk though. That like way. ITV have it's been huge. cracking out some Jane yeah. Austen adaptations, you know? It's it's true. Um but there's plenty of BBC ones and They don't um, have electric guitar in they don't, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was good because it was like raining. So I sat down for a while uh, to watch. Yeah. And I was the only one in there. And then this woman came and sat down next to me, just like right next to me, like her thigh touching mine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that close. Um, and at first I was like, ooh, she can't be British. Like this is like boundaries. Like this, these are like American boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't sit in the same room as me. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, we're kind of like watching and, you know, a scene comes on from like Northanger Abbey. And she's like looking at me and she goes, Lizzie? And I'm like, uh, no, no, that's Catherine. And then she's like, I'm not talking to you. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And then like the next scene comes on and it's from like Sense and Sensibility. And she's like, Lizzie? I'm like, no, that's, that's Eleanor. Like, what are you doing? And she just like keeps going through each one. Um, and I just kind of like stared straight ahead. Just like, just ignore her. Just ignore the crazy. Which is, I just was Hannah Chapman for the, that moment in time, basically. What does that mean? <laughs> right, I was just like highly annoyed that someone did not understand that every lead character, you know, was not Lizzie yeah. Bennet. Yeah, I, oh, I'm so sorry about the noise. This there is a tiny dog just all <laughs> over my bed, and I keep trying to kick her out of the room, and she keeps scrabbling back. She's really enjoying this story though, oh, that's and like good. she's breathing quite heavily. 
She is a tiny, cute dog. Both of us have dogs coming in and out of the room, so sorry, guys. I'm just going to deal with it. Every time I move in this house, there's an animal, like, staring at me (laughs) at the moment, and it's... Don't I know it? (laughs) Yeah. I remember. When we... (laughs) Yeah. So, Uh, yeah, I just remember being, like, totally furious about, about that happening. Anyway. Anyway, anyway. I would love to have met this woman. It was... Lizzie? Yeah, it's me. It is Lizzie. I've come from the past to tell you Pride and Prejudice is not the best book. Go now and tell the others. That's what I would have done. (laughs) And then I would have risen from my seat and floated into the screen and then walked into the distance and then looked back (laughs) over my shoulder at her. Yeah, that's what I would have done. I think that would have been a pretty uh, dramatic exit there. I reckon that's a bit of a Bronte exit that would have happened in the brontes yeah seriously instead i just like got up and kind of walked back into the exhibit and like wandered around and there, read some um, stuff read some stuff <laughs> um but yeah there was this one case and it was i believe it was like with her letters i can't remember but there was an exhibition note that really caught my attention And there was a throwaway line on that note. And it said something along the lines of Jane Austen writing for pleasure and for fame. It was fame that really caught me. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) No, 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 no. So this does not strike me at all. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you on the podcast officially, like, what do you think was behind Jane Austen's sort of motivation for writing and do you think she was interested in fame at all? I so the thing that I always think about Jane Austen when it came when it comes to fame is that there were there were other women writing at that time who were writing under their own names it wasn't unheard of I mean it certainly wasn't uh, considered oh an appropriate profession for a woman but people like you didn't have to hide it at this point Mm -hmm. uh the prince regent was a huge fan of her work uh you know like we we've got evidence of that if she was someone that was writing for fame um and kind of notoriety then having like having the most powerful man in the country be a huge fan of your work you would immediately Tell everyone who you were. Tell everyone that you yeah. read the books and moved to Brighton. Yeah. And there was evidence of that, actually, at the exhibition. There were the notes or the letters between um, the Prince Regent's librarian and um, Jane Austen, although I believe her maybe her, her brother actually, like, officially responded to them. Um, but, you know, the Prince Regent was, like, sending suggestions for books. Like, oh, you could write about this and you could write about that and you could write about this. So, yeah, if she wanted fame, and she could have done it she... and just been like, yeah, here, I wrote about it. Now you tell everyone and I'll and buy you'd, it. you'd have that. You'd, you'd have, like, the name of the book written by Jane Austen um, on special request from His Majesty, the, the Prince Regent. Right. So, yeah, she could have been famous, so but she, she, she been turned famous. it down. And then look at all of the people in, the, in her books that want fame and who want recognition. It's not like, I'm telling you, it's not the, it's not the heroines. It's not the yeah. characters that you're supposed to uh, warm to. It's the Eltons and the Elliots and the Steels and the Clays. Right. Um, social climbers. Jane right. Austen wasn't, 
she wasn't a social climber. She liked, she liked her portion of society. I think that she was someone who um, was accustomed to writing because of her family. She was someone that was accustomed to work being printed because of her brothers. And she was someone that had to write. Jane Austen was a writer. Um, there is a difference there between Austen and the Brontes in that she didn't have to support herself. When her right. father, you know, when her father died, her brothers made a point of between them raising his six hundred pounds a year income and matching it, so that his, uh, so that their sisters and mother wouldn't have um, as dramatic a change in circumstances uh, at the death of their father. So this wasn't someone who was writing because they really needed money to support themselves. That it was, it wasn't like a a business endeavor in that sense. It was something that uh, was recognised in the family. Like Cassandra did most of the house management so that could, Jane could write. She lived the lifestyle of a writer, but it wasn't... I think the motivations were maybe slightly different. Right. I, she was a storyteller. Like, I think she was like a natural storyteller and she yes. wanted to. And she, she, But I think she also was... Not that she wanted to be recognised, but she she was motivated to write these books and I think she wanted to be a writer. I just don't think she wanted fame. Yeah. But I think, yeah, she like, she had to tell the story. She had to write. Like it was the thing that she couldn't not do it. You know, she was writing yeah. so much from such a young age and because it moved just that beyond one period. Entertaining her family is her thing. It is, is yeah. the thing. And it, it yeah. moved into like very serious, like revisions and treating it really like a job. Um, but, I but think it was the- never her job. That's the interesting thing. Right. Is that she, she treated it like one. Like, that's the yeah. thing. That's what I'm interested in. But I don't think she... But I think she was doing that... Um, f- I'm doing, like, rabbit ears for the craft. Like, she was mm-hmm. interested in being a good writer, not in being a recognised well, then- writer. And also a writer for money. Because that's where I think... Because, yeah, that's why that line struck me, like, fame. And I think it was just kind of like a throwaway thing for them. But um, it's interesting. I feel like when women write and they seek fame or they seek money, then people start to make it almost a dirty thing, which I don't think it should be, to be honest. But I do think that that happens because just, my God, like, no one likes a woman with ambition. (laughs) You know, on my first day on my creative writing course at university, a man said to me, the difference between us, Hannah, is that you want to write for money and I'm not interested in it. What? Yeah, a guy called Laurie. I hope you're listening, bud. Um, He was like the first person I spoke to on my course and I think I'd said something like, I'd like to be a journalist. And he was scandalised at the thought that uh, I would want to write professionally for money and that I didn't want to... Um, smoke cigarettes constantly and hunch over a typewriter despite it being 2009 and you know no one has to you don't have to be a starving poet anymore right right all things can be true you can want to write for fame money and because you love the the craft yeah that's that's the other thing too like and you know yeah I just don't think you're you're any better if you just want to write for craft, for the love of writing. Like, people have to eat. 
that's the reality, right? Come on. No, exactly. Um, so, so my point earlier between Austin and the Bronzes wasn't that I think Austin is a worthier writer because no. she wasn't doing it to support herself. I just, I think it would be different if, like, the motivations aren't the same. Like, she was waking up in the morning. She, she could have been doing anything but writing. Like, she didn't have to do that. Whereas for right. the Bronzes, it, it, they were writing, and I think they were very fortunate actually that they were able to make money from doing that because they they didn't have a lot of other options like the governessing thing like that that would have been the sum of their lives if writing hadn't been a thing they would have lived and died as school teachers they would have been lucy snow yeah no exactly i um i know that you don't think that i i do think that other people do (laughs) think that though i think that people go okay she's a she's one of the reasons why she's such a worthy writer is because she didn't have to write because she didn't have to you know she could just do it for the love of writing this like romantic notion. Right. But I do think that um, Charlotte is often looked down upon. I can't even tell you, I, like, I'm going to like, I'm just compile um, a list of times that I see just people kind of like just ding her for being ambitious and wanting to be a published author. She didn't want to be a famous author guys. She wrote under the name Curabelle because she wanted to walk invisible but she wanted to, you know, produce good work that received good reviews, and she wanted to make money from her um, from her craft. So, you know, and people pit her against Emily, and they pit Emily her against Emily. Emily forbid you should have two women who are good at something without one of them being better or worse than the other. Yeah, I mean, I think Emily was not, she didn't have the drive to be a published author. She wanted to do it just for the love of writing, which yeah. again is seen as, you know, just, oh, this, 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 this true artist, this, po- you know, this, oh my God, like, she's the true artist. She's the true writer because she just wanted to write, not because she wanted to write and make money. And um yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like Charlotte is that she's ambitious. I think she always wanted to be a writer. Um, we're going to talk to Sophie Franklin actually later on in the show, but Sophie Franklin has a really great book called Charlotte Revisited that I just finished. And um, she was talking about the juvenilia and something, she said something that actually I just hadn't read before, but totally makes sense. Like, when the children started writing after the death of their mother and their sisters, and they really created, you know, their fantasy world and gondol. Yeah. One of the things that they were doing was not just storytelling and having fun, um, but it was also taking control of their lives. And I think writing for Charlotte is just, it's a sense of control. It's, it's fun. Um, Mm -hmm. It's almost essential. It's like the way that her, Emily and Anne and Branwell, like, communicated with each other it's really just like they grew up with the storytelling it just became part of their lives um also i think you can like charlotte's working through some stuff in her books like having read jane Eyre and villette like she's got some feelings she's got some feelings it is it's therapeutic yeah and the same the same can be said for for austin as well but i think yeah there's so much of themselves in in the works yeah. And um, I don't know. I just, oh, I just, uh, it's one of my big things, like just the way people talk about women writers, because I, I don't see people talking about men this way. Well, that's um, because men are writers ambition. and women are women writers. <laughs> right. Exactly. 
<laughs> never, never the twain shall meet. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost like you have to um, downgrade your own talent in order to be taken seriously. If that makes yeah. any sense. Like I, I think about um, Agatha Christie. And so I, I was working on an Agatha Christie project and I've read almost like just every Agatha bio out there. And a lot of them are written by men. And um, and her autobiography is, is actually really fabulous and I highly recommend it. And if you read that, like pay attention to the way that she talks about her own work. Like she always talks about herself as a woman first, um, yeah. as a mother, as a wife. Um, she really saw her life in terms of like her success is like her success as a woman. So like when her marriage, her first marriage failed, like she just felt she was a failure. Like she was the worst when, you know, she didn't have a great relationship with her daughter. Again, that's like failure, failure, failure. Her career though, I mean, red hot, right? Yeah. But she can never, like, she just never measures like that success. She never takes that into account. And when she talks about her writing, she's like, oh, I'm just like a hobbyist. I know I'm not very good. There are other, you know, people out there who are much better than I am. And I just would write if I um, if I wanted to make an addition to the kitchen or I wanted to remodel one of the bedrooms. I just would write a little book and get a little bit of money to like work on my house and make my home better for my family. Like was always downgrading herself. But in actuality, like that's not what she was doing. Like she really took her career seriously. You don't write 66 books and like not. <laughs> You yeah, don't become to, a brand. To have some pin money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's not true. Like, she was publishing books. She got a car for herself. Cause she, and she, then she was like, you know what? This money is mine. And I mean, there was a lot. Of, she was like pr- pretty much acting like a feminist and then saying, I'm not a feminist. Yeah. But it's, and you know, J.K. Rowling has that story of bumping into someone that she hasn't seen for years and years and years. She's written, um, you know, vastly successful film franchise, merchandised, million pound worth uh, book series, Harry Potter. And then the thing that this person says to her is, oh my gosh, you look great. You've lost so much weight. Because she's, she's and a her, woman first before and she's, she's a writer. just like, <laughs> no, you're right. Like, screw all the other stuff. Look at me being fabulous <laughs> like <laughs> why would the why would that be the first thing you say to me and uh, i'm pretty sure the story is at an awards thing as well like i i think it's at like a like right, a thing where being... it'd be like oh my gosh congratulations on your nomination or congratulations on your win or well done for hosting this like right <laughs> but yeah woman first credible then a writer artist creator like whoever you are second yeah. Woman so writer, a- woman musician, woman's comic creator, woman painter. Like it's all. <laughs> woman athlete. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how, how are you doing in your personal life? That's, yeah, that's how we're going to measure your success. Okay. Now we can talk about your work. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think it's something to like keep in mind as you're reading material about any of these writers any female writers it's just like you know are they you know is there some sort of underlying negativity when they talk about you know how ambitious they were oh i just really want to reread jane's letters now yeah and well, dig through it and we're gonna do a whole episode it. on the letters so yes 
that is going to happen. So not anyway, that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I've read them all. We're gonna do it again. Um, so yeah, that's like my rant. I feel like we could do a whole episode on like women's work and ambition. And um, that might be something for us to dive into. Oh, I would love to research this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I was just like, well, this is how I feel. And then it's like, um, well, I could be really wrong. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, actually, Hannah, Jane Austen did say on a number of occasions, I'm right for the damn money. I just want money. (laughs) I wish the Prince Regent would tell everyone who I was so I could be famous. If that's the case, you just let me know. Yeah. We're all le- we're all learning here. Seriously. Let us know your thoughts on this, actually. Um, I- I'm interested to know. This is a topic I think about quite a bit. And actually, um, one of my favorite podcasts is about women and work. And it's called Show Your Work. And it's about women in Hollywood. And um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, just, you know, let us know what you think. Um I think about this a lot with Charlotte, because again, like, you know, Charlotte reaching out to Malvi Salvi, like Charlotte, you know, she wanted to improve. She wanted to hear, you know, outside opinions on her work. She wanted to get better. And um, that's just something I really relate to. And that's something that I think people look down upon. And I'm not sure why. Is it just because this is a woman who wants to get better at her craft? I mean, come on, what, what's going on? I think it's also like pulling back the veil. Like, writing is hard work. Yeah. And there is no shame in seeking, you know, outside opinions. There is no shame in hiring me as your freelance editor <laughs> to give you a support system and an outside uh, view. I mean, that is what I'm doing during the day. So, like, I think maybe we just need to remove that stigma as well. No yeah. one's an island, creatively. Like, so, Apart from that so, guy yeah. from uni. Yeah, he is obviously very much an island. It's very much an island. <laughs> so that's my rant. <laughs> I enjoyed it. More of Thanks. that. Maybe we should um, Thank you. introduce this week's guest, though. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that is probably for the best. Um, <laughs> I was really happy to have on uh, Sophie Franklin and Claire O'Callaghan. And these gals did something really cool. They decided, well, they met on Twitter. They're going to talk about this in the interview. Spoilers. But um, (laughs) they decided, you know, based on their mutual love and interest in the Brontes, to pull together a Bronte conference. Amazing. um, It was amazing. It was open to all. I really wanted to come. I was actually in England at the time, but just couldn't make it work because I think one of the days I was actually in Oxford. Um, Drinking. Drunk. I was too drunk to go. But um, (laughs) John's like, Lauren, you've got to go to this Bronte conference. And you're just like in this pub, like, Inspector Morse. Just taking pictures of like, the pictures of Morse in the pub. And the and the person in the pub's like, he didn't this isn't even one of those pubs. You're in <laughs> this is a Weatherspoons. You're in the wrong one. I you know, I did go to a Weatherspoons when I was in Oxford. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because that you? breakfast is cheap. Yeah, I got there early and I was like, yeah, I'll have this two pound breakfast. I used to work in a Weatherspoons. No judgment. Did you? Oh yeah. let's talk about that during the interview. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I hope you guys enjoy. 
So I am currently kind of just over halfway through a PhD at Durham University mm-hmm. uh, in the UK, in the north, northeast of England. And I'm looking at violence in the Brontes fiction and kind of 19th century perceptions of violence. Oh, awesome. And what sparked my interest? Uh, I guess Jane Eyre always, the ubiquitous Jane Eyre. Um, I think it was mainly when I was like 20, I was rereading the book, my master's dissertation. And, you know, because I was like, oh, I just want to write about Jane Eyre and, the, and Charlotte Bronte, doesn't matter what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was rereading it and there was, that, there was that scene after the kind of aborted wedding ceremony when obviously they discover Bertha Mason, um, her existence in the attic, and Rochester threatens Jane and he says, I'll try violence. And that was kind of the kind of turning point for me when I thought, oh, actually, Rochester's not this hero. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, hero he's actually threatening rape and that's that so that kind of then from there it kind of snowballed and became my PhD so that's kind of yeah where I'm at with the Brontes. <laughs> gotcha now what about you Claire? Okay so hi uh, so I'm Clara Callahan. I um, got my PhD a few years ago I'm currently a lecturer in um, Victorian literature at Brunel University <laughs> and I teach a module on the Brontes um on the master's course and it's enormous fun um and I teach them on undergraduate as well but I'm also writing um like Sophie I was drawn to the Brontes a little bit because of the violence but also the kind of feminist agenda that goes with the way in which that they're interested in violence and it was um it was thinking about that that really kind of drew me to start uh, working on that as a kind of research topic in itself. And then I met Sophie and it was all very exciting. <laughs> Somebody thinking along the same lines. Yeah. Um, I'm currently writing on, um, uh, well, I've just finished a book chapter on Anne Bronte on um, victim blaming in mm-hmm. um, the tenant of Wildfire Hall. And I'm writing currently on a book about Emily. And oh, nice. um, I've got some stuff planned on sexual violence in Emily's work. So. Nice. Okay, I want to I wanna read everything that you guys have just <laughs> talked about now. My ever-growing reading list. <laughs> now, how did you guys meet? So, well, it was kind of over Twitter, wasn't it? Because okay. I wrote a book um, called Charlotte Bronte Revisited. It came out last year. Mm-hmm. And Claire messaged me via Twitter and said because I think I maybe had it on my kind of bio on Twitter or something I can't remember mm-hmm. uh, and Claire was like oh I'd be really interested to read it and stuff so then I sent it to Claire and she read it and enjoyed it and then we met at the Chawton House uh, Charlotte Bronte Bicentenary Conference last May was it mm-hmm. 2016 May 2016 and yeah and then when we met we were just like yeah chatting as Claire says about all the kind of overlaps in our research and interests and everything mm-hmm. and about yeah violence in the Brontes and we were like well maybe we should do something together an event or a special edition of something a special mm-hmm. collection and we then that's think about the violence thing so well much more. yeah exactly so that was kind of how it all came together oh nice okay twitter is is where I'm finding all of my Bronte people as well so it's a really, really good um, good forum for that, I think, actually. Connecting scholars that are interested in kind of ch- chatting and exploring ideas about the Brontes. Well, certainly, I think so, anyway. Yeah, definitely. So now, Brunel and Durham. Well, where is Brunel on the, for, for our American listeners and for me? 
That's all right. Um, so it's in West London. It's about 10 minutes okay. from Heathrow Airport. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 really, really central. It's actually called Brunel University London. They've changed and they added London on the end recently <laughs> for that exact reason that no one knew where it was. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And then the yeah. conference itself was, uh, you decided on Durham for the location? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which I saw some yeah. pictures on Twitter and looks yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it was absolutely stunning. And we, I mean, we chatted about it, but Durham seemed a sensible place, not, not only because it's stunningly beautiful, um, but also because of the connections between the Brontes and Durham, which we mm. at the conference. Ooh, um, can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? And Sophie, you can. Uh, you want yes. So basically, um, I mean, well, we were also thinking because we wanted to keep it kind of in the north, because obviously yeah. the Bronx is sure. north. Durham's obviously quite. It's more northern than the than Yorkshire <laughs> is, even right. more. <laughs> that's possible. Um, and so basically, William Waitman was Patrick Bronte, so the father of the Brontes, Patrick Bronte's curate, um, and he actually was an alumnus alumnus yeah of Durham University okay. I think he graduated 1837 which is just kind of it, just kind of when Durham University was opened essentially so he was kind mm -hmm. of one of the first alumni and um, so we wanted to explore that connection a bit more as well and kind of emphasize the fact that actually you know he came to Durham and he did have a kind of important role within their lives mm -hmm. you know they wrote letters about him and there's even kind of rumors that you know he had interest in Anne Bronte but then also maybe even Emily Bronte or you know all these kind of silly gossip things but uh, mm -hmm. yeah we wanted to explore that so then also we worked in partnership um, with the Bronte Parsonage Museum with Amy Rowbottom um, and I think you've met as well. Amy is uh, a good friend of ours yeah. <laughs> yeah she's she's lovely um, she's a big big fan of William Waitman. Yes she is. <laughs> and she when we kind of approached the Bronte Parsonage Museum wanting to do a kind of mini exhibition or something just to kind of you know emphasize that connection she kind of jumped at the chance and uh, she put on this really beautiful uh, exhibition that, that was on show uh, I think there, there are photos on Twitter as well we can maybe mm -hmm. send out those through to you but oh, yeah, it yeah was, it was absolutely really yeah oh that's awesome oh Amy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Love her. Actually, we are just now announcing on the show that we're doing a um, little bit of programming with Amy in Manchester in December. Oh, I know this. Okay. Yes. So if you guys come up and hang out with us in Manchester, if you can. Yeah, no, my best friends, it lives in Manchester. So I'm always having looking for excuses to come to Manchester. So consider me there. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yes, please come talk Brontes with us. Talk Gaskell if you guys are interested in Gaskell as well, please. Yeah, I love Gaskell. She's such a she's such a big figure, isn't she? Of course, in Bronte studies, although she's not, she's never that much liked. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually I was going to ask you guys about that because um, I was following the conference on Twitter, mm. and then I did see a few Gaskell tweets pop up. So <laughs> before we get into Gaskell, I will say, uh, well, who did you guys approach to be speakers? So um, we approached um, uh, a writer, or we approached, we wanted a couple, a handful, uh, not more than a handful really, we had a, a couple of keynote speakers, we had three mm -hmm. in the end, and we wanted to have quite a few to bring different voices and different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, we approached um, the writer Robert Edrick, 
who is a fictional writer. He's a historical fiction writer, but he wrote in 2011, he published a book called Sanctuary, which is um, a rewriting or a reimagining, really, of the last kind of six months of Bramwell Bronte's life um, from Bramwell's perspective. Um, So because uh, obviously we were organising the conference in um, this year, which is the bicentenary of Bramwell's birth, we thought it'd be really good to kind of tie in that idea of um, revisiting the Brontes, mm-hmm. uh, reappraising the Brontes and reappraising Branwell and, and get him to come and talk from a fictional perspective. So mm-hmm. he was our first. Um, we approached um, Emeritus Professor Marianne Thormallon. Have I said that right, Sophie? I, was... I think it's Tormallon, but Tormallon, yeah. That... that's the one. Marianne <laughs> yeah. Tormallon, sorry. Um... But I only learned that like a few days before the conference, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, who is an esteemed, uh, you know, figure in Bronte studies um, and published extensively. And we wanted, uh, again, we we approached her with the idea of, um, you know, doing something around revisiting the idea of coarseness. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, thinking about um, Anne Bronte and the tenant of Wildwell Hall and why it still has the power to shock. Mm-hmm. So um, she came along and spoke about that. And then the um, other person we approached was um, Sarah Wooten, who's a lecturer and Sophie's supervisor at Durham. And um, Sarah works across uh, romanticism and kind of early Victorian, that's right, isn't it, Sophie? And she had recently, she's published on Lightness and Dark in Weathering Heights, but she'd also written um, a book recently on Byronic Heroes or The Byronic Hero. Um, which you didn't really talk about um, the Brontes on, but obviously it's such an important idea in all of yeah. Bronte's novels that, um, again, we just thought perfect fit to come mm-hmm. along and think about their coarseness. Um, yeah. And she gave us a really fantastic lecture on Valette. Oh, yes, we should talk about Valette. <laughs> 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 That's our next uh, research-heavy episode, actually. And so oh, my gosh. Our next Amazing. book club ba- battle which that's oh. a hard one to sell to Austin fans. Oh, really? show. Mm-hmm. It's a hard one to sell to Bronte fans at times. Yes, it's, it, it really can be. Yeah. Um, are you guys fans of Villette? Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. I love the ending, to be honest. And that <laughs> is my favourite ending, I think, of any novel. I, th- I think... I'm more, I appreciate it more. I'm not sure. It's like Jane Eyre, I think I'm a fan of right. that. And I can write about it academically as well. But with Villette, I'm not sure if I'm a fan, but I really appreciate it as a work of art. And I mm-hmm. just think it is just so, I don't know, just remarkable, really. And I think, yeah, not enough has really been said about yeah. it in some ways. I've had, um, when I first read Valette years ago I wasn't sure it was a bit marmite for me initially mm. I wasn't sure whether I couldn't actually tell whether I liked it or not I was a bit <laughs> yeah. I think I came from like I just said came from the kind of Jane Eyre thing and, and Valette kind of threw me but um it's actually really really grown on me and it's actually got some scenes that really kind of stayed with me like you know Lucy yeah. going into church and that kind of stuff but also mm. um I've found that when I taught I've taught it actually my student reactions have given me a bigger appreciation of it I think particularly um I've had a couple of uh in last year in, on the MA course I had uh, a couple of uh French Belgian students and um they were explaining to me the level of humor and all the humor that Charlotte Bronte had put into the novel oh, written wow. 
um, you oh, know, almost kind of like watching Brits Abroad kind of thing. Okay. And just having discussions with them made it seem a completely different tech. So it's one that keeps reworking itself mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's no longer Marmite. I have a bigger appreciation for it now. So now you've kind of explained a little bit, um, like the violence is what brought you together, the violence in the Bronte. So that's even <laughs> became the coarseness of the Brontes. That's what the sort of the, the theme was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that received by people? It seems like people really jumped off with that theme. Mm. Yeah, I think it kind of, in some ways, maybe took people by surprise. I mean, I remember actually speaking to my supervisor, as, I, as Claire said, Sarah Wooten, about it. She was like, okay, coarseness, all right, yeah. <laughs> and then actually, I think the more, it's one of those topics where the more you think about it, the more it becomes kind of, I don't know, just ever-present mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of seems to fit. And I think actually, especially with uh, Jo Wall, she gave a really great paper on To Walk Invisible mm-hmm. uh, on the first day of the conference. And she kind of mentioned how actually, in some ways, this idea of coarseness, and that does kind of incorporate ideas about violence and, and, and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. This kind of idea of coarseness, how it used to be in the 19th century, this really negative thing about the Brontes that, you know, reviewers kind of denounced and stuff. And now actually, through people like Sally Wainwright and, and others, it's kind of been reclaimed and yeah, reappraised as this positive thing. And I think that mm-hmm. kind of that conversation is is really interesting and kind of why is it we now feel like actually being coarse that's you know that's a good thing isn't it um yeah. in yeah. some ways yeah it's not as taboo as it kind of once was yeah definitely we i mean we initially we were we had a remember we had a little bit of a, a worry about how, if people would think we were revisiting old stuff yeah um, mm-hmm. yeah and that's why we were really wanted to put that kind of ideas about revisiting and reappraisal yep. in the title because we wanted to ask that question you know is this the same yeah now as it was then and what is it that's changed um and does that apply across all forms of of coarseness or accusations of coarseness leveled at the Brontes and to all of the individuals involved um and actually there was I think that the the diversity of that theme as Sophie said kind of gave rise to some really interesting conversations and there wasn't a kind of uniform answer actually right yeah to to that whole idea which was really fantastic it's exactly what we wanted well, the programming sounded great. It sounded very diverse, too. Yeah. Um, any surprising sort of like new insights? Anything that you that you were shocked by? Shocked by? Um... And maybe shock is a strong word, too. No, it's, yeah. Um... I think one of the things that came out um, was uh, that I thought was really interesting. There was quite a lot, and Sophie spoke on this as well, um, some of the stuff around language and linguistics and uh-huh. um, it came out in different papers in unexpected places this, this idea of how do we remember the Brontes and do we remember them with these kind of RP voices or do we do we remember mm-hmm. them as you know tough North Yorkshire kind of you know northern lasses yeah uh, with accents or you know the, the the fact that Charlotte said to have had an Irish accent at times right and it was those kind of points of discussion about how that's how that's changed and why we might do that. Um, why we might, like Sophie said, be more accepting of the, the kind of Yorkshire lass now. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and that was actually, uh, that was unexpected, I think, from the programme. I mean, I didn't expect that from the programme yeah. coming out. I think it's interesting when we you kind of have, I and mean, I think Radio 4, they did a kind of um, 
adaptation or reworking of Jane Eyre mm-hmm. uh, and I can't remember the actress's name but she had the kind of Yorkshire accent when she was you know in, in dialect and stuff and that I think works really well and I think it is interesting to think of actually that I guess reclaiming of well what's wrong with an accent and what does that signify mm-hmm. and especially with the Brontes because they are so connected to the Yorkshire Moors I think it is important that they do have some kind of I don't know verbal connection to where they're where they're from yeah. um but at the same time I think when like for example Talk Invisible came out there was a lot of kind of hoo-ha about oh are the accents right and everything and I think that is important but then you know they wouldn't have but they, I don't think they would have actually had really broad Yorkshire accents not only because as Claire said you know Patrick was Irish and right. you know Charlotte Bronte apparently had this kind of Irish accent when she was younger and presumably then all the other children may have as well mm-hmm. yeah so I think that you know they would have spoken maybe a bit more kind of I don't know ne- more in a neutral sense so yeah I'm not sure I think it is an interesting thing to think about within the kind of the fiction but them themselves it's it's hard to know because there's no recordings which is very annoying right it? right <laughs> I, w- yeah. I wish we had um, I know what was your like favorite bit of the conference? Oh god, there's so many parts of the conference. So many. Oh, you can oh. you can pick your top three if you want. Uh, I really I really enjoyed the poetry reading when Michael O'Neill. Yeah. We had uh, Professor Michael O'Neill from Durham University um, read some poetry, some of Emily Bronte's poetry. So he's a romanticist, mm-hmm. but he's also a published uh, poet himself, and he just has the most incredible voice. Uh, and it was just really relaxing. I think also because it was the end of the kind of day and there was no more kind of scheduling that could go wrong. Right. So for me, anyway, right. I just felt like, oh, next is dinner and I'm just feeling so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was a that was a highlight. And actually, in a way, in a weird way, I mean, all of the all of the papers across the board were incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the keynotes, as Claire said, but I actually did enjoy that. The kind of the wine reception was great, or not because of the wine, but just it was just very relaxed. And then even the end as well, like when we were kind of doing last comments and stuff, and everybody kind of was gathered there and um, you know mingling and chatting. That was, I think, a highlight in a way. Yeah, Claire, what was your highlight? Um, I well, I actually really liked meeting lots of people who yes. I kind yeah. of already mm-hmm. knew from social media. But yeah had the opportunity to talk to in person and mm-hmm. having had kind of pre-conference uh, tweet exchanges and arranging to meet up with people, then actually getting to hear them and hear their papers and explore stuff mm-hmm. um, was really, really cool. And particularly, uh, I mean, for example, um, we mentioned Joe War already, um, Caroline Bayless-Green, who works on kind of other other ideas about the queerness of the Brontes which really connects to things I'm interested in it's great to again meet somebody a bit like when I met Sophie last year mm-hmm. meet somebody mm-hmm. that's also having the same kind of thoughts as you and you can have that really nerdy geeky yeah, moment <laughs> of yeah. Bronte and out with them um and it was really really nice just to just to have a kind of mix of um the Bronte society people there mm-hmm. as well as um scholars and there seems to be a real appreciation of that mix in the room mm-hmm. and i actually although it was hilarious um the, the brown we've done a, a book group reading um of uh robert edrick's sanctuary so he came on the first day and on the second day we um a, you know a few of us got together and we, we threw out some questions and it was just really interesting. I loved it um, hearing the mixed responses, mixed reviews from people 
as to whether they liked it or not because they were the, going to be the hardest audience to please and uh, <laughs> it was a discussion it was really good so now would you guys do this again are you planning to do it again we ha- we had an email from uh, somebody a kind of lifelong member of the Bronte Society, Belinda Hakes, kind of emailing you say, oh, when's the next one? And I emailed back saying, oh, you know, there's there's one in York next year that the Bronte Parsons Museum putting on. And she was like, oh, yes, I know about that. But, you know, what about you two? Are you right. going to put that on? And we were just like, oh. <laughs> um, I think it would be amazing to, we don't have plans to, but mm-hmm. I think it would be, we, we do have the Bronte Studies special issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that the kind of call for papers is the deadline is the 1st of December. So that's going to kind of keep the ball rolling. And okay. you obviously put that out there to kind of wider audience, uh, hopefully kind of a selection of papers from the, the conference. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of kind of other events, we don't have any immediate plans, yeah, but, to, but I think it would be... Pipeline. I mean, the thing about this one, as we've kind of said, was it came from that kind of organic, you know, us kind of coming together and um, having new ideas or, or newer responses to the Brontes that, right. than we had maybe read elsewhere mm. and feeling like there was a gap and feeling like there was something we wanted to explore a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And what's actually exciting is that there are, and there were at the conference, there were those kind of discussions happening. So there was a discussion about... Um, again just revisiting ideas about the brontes and romance how romantic are they yes um, right again, yeah. that wasn't us, but it was that opportunity to, to to maybe revisit some of those things um so we haven't got anything in the pipeline but um i'm sure there will be other stuff mm-hmm. people are Definitely. hungry for bronte programming this, this yeah, i have yes. found out i do get a lot of emails <laughs> yeah. or questions people like you know because jane austen has so much <laughs> There's so much with like Jasna over here in the States and obviously in the UK as well. Um, So I'm always trying to, I'm always on the lookout for any Bronte events. (laughs) And in the States, it's like impossible, but. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yes. Oh, I wish there was something over here. And if you guys ever do want to do anything over here, please, because um, (laughs) there are a ton of Bronte fans. There's Bronte societies and things in like smaller um, offshoots, aren't there in, in the US? Yeah. Um, small. They're not like super active. Okay. Uh, right. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, a lot of the Bronte stuff that I, I find, I, it is very much attached to academia as well. Okay. So, um, so then, I, like, when I emailed you guys, like, oh, is this open? Like, can I come to this? Yeah. <laughs> that sort of <laughs> thing. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess that was kind of one of the reasons why we approached the Bronte Society as well I mean a it was because in it, originally we kind of didn't we knew that they might be kind of organizing an event about Bramwell Bronte and um, but then obviously we ended up kind of partnering with them and that was always our kind of intention from the beginning to be like well actually this is open to everybody it doesn't mm-hmm. because you know just because you're not an academic you know you're still an expert there were experts at that conference who are, don't have a PhD but they know probably more than myself and Claire combined about you know all the novels inside and out so I think that was that's really important to have that kind of approach and that those kind of voices as well yeah absolutely so now circling back to Gaskell <laughs> um, <laughs> I loved following the conference on Twitter, by the way. It was great. Um, I was just so sad that I wasn't there. I was like, no, I want to be there. <laughs> Tiny. 
But um, <laughs> everyone was doing a great uh, job. And if you know, you guys want to go back and look at some of those tweets, uh, the hashtag is Course Brontes. And I'll retweet a few of those so that they're um, fresh in the feed when we post this episode. Um, but yeah, I saw a few things about, well, I saw, I read everything about, I could about Valette mm-hmm. and then, um, saw a couple, <laughs> uh, mentions of Gaskell. What, not super popular. Maybe, maybe one of you guys wants to explain. You want to, Sophie? Or do you want to- <laughs> was this, was this Lucy Hanks talk? I think I missed that. I had to go to another one. I believe so. I would have okay. to look and check. So, well, I think basically it's to do with the life of Charlotte Bronte, mm-hmm. um, published 1857, I believe, <laughs> <laughs> and how basically Elizabeth Gaskell constructed this image of Charlotte Bronte and Anne and Emily Bronte that we're still kind of contending with and dealing with now. And in a way, actually, it's not just Elizabeth Gaskell, it kind of goes back to Charlotte Bronte as well in her preface of the 1850 edition of Wuthering Heights and Agnes Grey. But it kind of, in a way, yeah, that's why we kind of still have to reappraise the Brontes, I think, because she Mm -hmm. created this view that, oh, the reason why there's all this violence or coarseness indeed in their novels is because, you know, look what they grew up in the, you know, backwater of this uncivilised place. Mm -hmm. And actually... It wasn't really, I mean, you know, it was the countryside, I guess, but it was actually very near Keithley, which is a kind of, you know, industrial hub. Mm-hmm. And the actual town itself, Howarth, had like 32 textile mills or something crazy when Patrick mm-hmm. arrived with his small family. So, yeah, I think that's the kind of beef, I guess, that people have with Gaskell is that she yeah. kind of created this this image that we're still trying to yeah, a lot of the, the myths and the ideas that we have about the Brontes come. And Charlotte was a, played a big role in construction yeah. with Elizabeth Gaskell. And that's kind of yeah. part of the issue is, uh, um, is, has kind of been debunked. So in Bronte studies, I guess Gaskell is treated with um, a little bit of caution. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. But, but the book is still referred to. People go back to oh, yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. It's still a landmark text in, yeah. in Bronte biography obviously being the first but yeah yeah it's just a question on how reliable is this right yeah because even then thinking about because I was speaking about Shirley and Charlotte Bronte's second published novel that was published 1849 and that was all about the Luddites and so they were frame breakers um, across the UK um, and kind of 1811 1814 that kind of period 1810s and Elizabeth Gaskell she's quoted it from the life of the life of Charlotte Bronte in like these seminal texts about Luddism and I'm like why are you like quoting from Elizabeth Gaskell's biography which is itself kind of fictionalized and Mm -hmm. yeah so it is as Claire says it's it's kind of crazy like that it's used as this kind of reliable source almost like a primary text it's like well she kind of made a lot up yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) now um obviously the podcast for now is Austin versus Bronte what do you guys, uh, how do you guys feel about Austin? What is your favorite Austin book, if you're a fan at all? I love Austin. I <laughs> absolutely love Austin. Um, I uh, really, really like Persuasion. Mm, uh, right. I really, really like Northanger Abbey. Um, but for different reasons. I love Northanger Abbey for the, the crazy gothic and the fun that Jane Austen has with it. Um, 
and I really like Persuasion just because it it feels so much more serious than some of her other texts. Yeah. But still with all those kind of very Austin commentaries on society and culture and um, how people behave. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I would, of, co- of course, I'm going to be really typical here and say Pride and Prejudice as well, because I think that was one of the first big, Victor- not, not Victorian, sorry, first big long 19th century novels I read when I was younger and mm-hmm. completed. And it was one of those landmarks. Um, I love Austin, yeah, love it. Yeah, I love Austen too. I think she, I think she's misunderstood by Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh God. But my favorite, I think, like Claire, Persuasion. I just think it's just, oh, I don't know, something so. It's just so moving, and I just love Anne's character, the way that she does what people tell her to, because she kind of doesn't have an, an alternative in, in a sense, and she is powerless but also kind of very kind and thoughtful and so she just wants to kind of I don't know do everything that makes other people happy and do what other people say because she just just wants not to be in the way and I just like that she is kind of I mean I don't I don't necessarily like the word rewarded but she kind of is in a way when she gets you know Wentworth and I love I love Wentworth as well um and then Sensibility I think is my second partly because I am obsessed with the Emma Thompson okay uh, film I was about to ask you if you either are obsessed with Emma Thompson or if you have a sister. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't have a sister. So it's probably Emma Thompson, yeah. (laughs) Persuasion is our number one response to that question. Really? Absolutely. Like, by far. Uh, It's like, it's Pride and Prejudice is second, of course. But um, people love Persuasion. So when we do our next book club battle, it is Persuasion against Villette. And so I think... Oh, (laughs) no! Wow. That's so tough. And like comparing Lucy and Anne quite a bit. So Okay, interesting. Yeah. I have to say, I'm not a fan at all of Sense and Sensibility. That's one. (gasps) Really? Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know what it is about it. I just never really... I just, yeah, it just didn't work. Didn't get the feeling. I'm not a fan. (laughs) <laughs> that's the first time I've heard that. I was like, oh. Sorry. shocked. <laughs> Usually the least, fa- well, I mean, besides Mansfield Park, which is just a given, right? And then um, it's Mansfield or Northanger Abbey, I heard quite a bit. But then. Really? I love that book. I know. But <laughs> then we did our Northanger Abbey episode, and then everyone's like, no, no, it's loved. Everyone loves it. <laughs> Yeah, Emma Emma is another one that again is um mm. I think that's the thing. I think I I wasn't really a fan of the Dashwoods in mm-hmm. Sense of Sensibility and Emma drives me a little bit bonkers as well. Yeah. In the same way that Fanny Price kind of drives me bonkers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and for those reasons, yeah, those three are just not my favourite thoughts it's the others. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> now, um, what is next for you guys in general? What are you guys up to? What's Ooh, uh, finish my PhD? Finishing your PhD, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Just got to do that. That's easy, <laughs> easy. <laughs> and yeah, then... basically, I, well, we've got the as I said, the Bronte Studies special issue, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be coming out January 2019. So we while away, but we'll be kind of okay. working away at that in the next nine months, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. And for more information about that, people can look uh, to your website or to your Twitter or. Yes. Okay. It's over all of them. Yeah. Okay. 
awesome. I'll put those in the show notes and everything. Well, Claire, you need to say what you're doing because you're doing quite a big thing. You're doing the Ebley book. Thanks, Sophie. <laughs> 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 no pressure. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I was, uh, as Sophie said earlier, when I read her book, when I first heard about her book, I wanted to read it because um, as the, the kind of title of the, our conference suggests, I'm really obsessed with these ideas about revisiting and reappraising and mm-hmm. uh, rethinking about the past. And um, so I really wanted to read Sophie's book. I read it, fell in love with it and was immensely jealous and had huge book envy and author envy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but such a really fresh and just honest thought-provoking look at Charlotte from the 21st century mm-hmm. so I um uh, I've always been in that kind of who do you prefer Charlotte or Emily I've always been a bit more of a, a, an Emily gal and I uh approached the publisher and asked if they would be interested in the follow-up so I'm currently finishing that off um I've been reading a lot of uh, rereading a lot of Emily's poetry and absolutely loving it lately mm-hmm. so um I'm currently writing about that so where are you falling in the Charlotte versus Emily battle right now? <laughs> For me, that used to, like, that would change daily, especially with this show. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, we had this chat before, didn't we, Sophie? It was actually, it's really hard because that you always want to put them in an either or. Right, yeah. right. I, I'm, I'm with you, actually. My view can change daily. I mean, I, I return to Emily's, to Weathering Heights, probably over Jane Eyre simply because of the really romanticized ending of Jane Eyre that mm-hmm. I <laughs> want to resist um I'm the same way yeah and and so because of that that's why I've always kind of given Emily a little bit of an edge but I I'm I love Anne as well and mm-hmm. um and I just I think uh yeah Charlotte I mean yeah I don't want to have to choose between them yeah <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs> So Claire calling Villette Marmighty, I think, is really apt. And I so think you've true. just had your, yeah, like you just had your first bite of Marmite and you're like, I don't, I don't like it. But then maybe you read it again and you're like, I do like it. Fun fact. I love Marmite. <sighs> Disgusting. I, I stick a spoon in it and just, I just oh. love it so much. No, no, Hannah, no. Yes, Lauren. I think with Valette, I mean, I'm trying to save it. I'm trying to save it. I think, though, scenes are great. There are certain scenes that are so great that make the book for me. Yeah. And, like, there are moments in it that I am in love with. But then there's also a lot of book around there's these a lot of moments book. that I was just so unhappy when I was reading and like, yeah, we we can't talk about it too much. We can't talk about but it. But when yeah. but when I was reading, it was a very different experience to reading Jane Eyre. Like yeah. for me, Jane Eyre was a light bulb going on, and I was like, I mean, just listen, listen back to the um, Darcy versus Heathcliff um, episode at the end when I'm talking about Jane Eyre, and I'm still in the middle of reading it, and I haven't finished the book yet, and. Like, I think I almost sound giddy talking about it. Like, I, was, yeah, yeah. I, I remember being so excited to read it. And there was a point um, kind of in the second volume of Villette where I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I found it. We're in our stride. And then 
Yeah. And I mean, I'm half joking when I say I hate it. Like, I didn't hate it. But there are, you know, I've got feelings. It's a lot of feelings. We're going to have to, we're, we're going to unpack them in Manchester when we see each other face to face. Yeah, because I'm going to need be... a hug. <laughs> I'm going to need a hug. And that will be the first week of December. And we will be at Gaskell House. And yeah. um, you can join us on Thursday, December 7th at Gaskell House when uh, we're going to be hosting a panel there. That kind of brings together the Bronte Parsonage and the Gaskell, Gaskell Society. Can't talk, guys. And um, we're going to talk about Charlotte and Elizabeth and their friendship and their career and just, you know, have a good time. And I actually will have stuff to give away, too. So if you come, like, I will have, like, books and pins and fun things for you. And I will have a menu for the tea room, which is where I will be working. Yes. Hannah will be working the entire time. Yeah, I'm going to wear... Well, I should wear a Victorian tea maid outfit. Yeah, you should. Is that a thing? Sure. Why not? I'll make it a thing. <laughs> that should be my Halloween costume, which I still don't have. And I have a party on Saturday. So I got to figure that out. You I should figure go that- as Charlotte Bronte. Maybe I will. <laughs> Just look really grumpy. And ask for feedback on your work. <laughs> Make a, I, make a document and, uh, yeah. I think I'm just going to print it on a t-shirt. Like, I'll just print Charlotte Bronte on a t-shirt and then wear that to a party. Perfect. that? Or just, just, just the words? Just the words. Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> just yeah. a black t-shirt and then black jeans. Yeah, I'll have to edit together that Halloween episode. Um, I have got still a story have... for that. I know, right? Um, It's going to be a long one. So that'll be fun. And uh, our North and South episode, it's just going to be you and me, Hannah. No guests on the first one, because I am hoping we will have a decent amount of um, listener comments to discuss. We want you guys to read along and then contact us on all the social medias and let us know what your thoughts are and your opinions on the book so that we can discuss those as well on the show. Yeah. So there are a few ways to do that. Hannah, how can they do that? You can find us, as always, on Instagram and Twitter, at Bonnets at Dawn. You can find the closed Facebook group, where we have a special chapter breakdown for each week. So we've already posted the um, conversation thread for chapters 1 to 10. Yep. So you can comment on those with your thoughts. Have a chat with me and Lauren. Have a chat with each other. Even if you just want to drop in, leave like a solid rant and dive out again. Let us know who your favourite character is, what your first thoughts are. Just um, pop in and do that and then we can have a look at those. If you want to email us, you can email us bonnetsatdawn at gmail.com. And um, yeah, if you want to pop by my house, we can have a chat over it on a cup of tea. My address is... <laughs> I'm guessing you want me to beat that all out. Yeah. I, well, I figured you would just do it. And then, <laughs> and then, would, and then it would be really funny. <laughs> uh, you're definitely not welcome at my house. My husband will throw you off our porch. I mean, I was barely welcome at your house. <laughs> just kidding. I did lots of washing up. I was very welcome. Yeah, he did like you <laughs> as a house guest. You're a great house guest. Um, Thank you. 
Yeah. So uh, if you do, uh, you know, leave your thoughts on Twitter, use the hashtag NSBonnets so I can find you and uh, round up those comments before our next episode. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to experiencing this book with you guys. I'm really loving it so far. I'm excited to read more than the first page. Oh, yes. (laughs) Get on that. I read it. I was at work. And then, you know, we did this twice. That was my plan for tonight. And then...